Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. You know, flea tick and heartworm, everybody listen, you need to be on that year round. Don't just pick months, stay on that habit. Out of veterinary hospitals that were surveyed, 96% recommended 12 months out of the year. So that, that's pretty huge. That's all parts of the country. So even veterinarians where they know it gets cold, let's stay on it 12 months and remove all doubt, right? Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. We have a uh, returning guest on the podcast this week. We have Dr. Mark Pelham from Birmingham, Alabama. He's going to talk everything flea and tick and kind of update us on the happenings of that crazy world. Mark, how you doing? Doing good. And, and man, I'm glad to be back. It, it just doesn't seem like it's been two years since we talked fleas and ticks. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't know. I think that we did it like prior to COVID and then we had that gap in the middle of it because me and you both felt like it was, you know, just a few months ago. And then we went, went and looked and it's like, no, nope, it's been over two years. So I guess it's time to give an update on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and um, you, you know, like I was telling you earlier, we uh, we definitely hadn't gotten rid of fleas and ticks or the threat <laughs> of fleas and ticks in the last few years. Well, I, w I wish that was the case because that would make all our lives easier. But, you know, you being a veterinarian down in in uh, Alabama, I'm sure that it's probably your, the bane of your existence. Probably more so, I think if I remember correctly on the episode, you said that fleas were more of a pressing issue at the time than ticks were for you. Is that is that roundabout kind of accurate still? You know, I, I definitely think we see a lot more fleas in the clinic. Um, I think the owners, because they're they're bringing coming in for skin problems, right? I think we sometimes identify the fleas with the skin problem. Um, ticks tend to hide a little better, so I think a lot of people uh, will find the ticks on the, the pet. The owners don't even know sometimes they've had them just because of how well they burrow down and attach, which also makes them a bigger threat. Now, when an owner finds a tick you're going to see that dog because there's nothing worse than the owner. They can see fleas come to the vet. They see a tick. It's a big issue. Yeah. So ticks kind of uh, get people moving a little faster, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Every, everybody hates a tick. Fleas are annoying, you know, but, but yeah, to your point, I guess ticks stand out a little bit more to the average person. But, you know, before we kind of go – real deep into fleas and ticks you know what what have you been up to down in your practice down there have you been a, had a chance to get out and you know do any dog training or hunting or anything over the past couple of years 
You know, very limited. You know, we went uh, during those COVID years, you know, being at Merck Animal Health and and being field based, we all kind of came in into the house, you know, so. So the platform that you and I are on right now just became every day for us, you know, talking to our veterinarians, talking to veterinary groups, talking to groups like yours. Um, it's been great, though, this these last couple of years, I'd say, you know, 22 and, and this year we've been back in the field and back out. Um, but any spare time was definitely spent, you know, away from the public scenes and out outdoors, you know, yeah. so we at least got to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And that that's kind of what brings us all together is getting outdoors with our dogs and and leads right on into this conversation because that's where yep. these uh, critters live for the most part are fleas and ticks. So I guess, you know, let's start off with talking about really just the different options when it comes to flea and tick prevention, because really we're talking more prevention than anything uh, on, on this episode. So in terms of flea and tick prevention, you know, I know that we have the chewables or the pill uh, ingestibles, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you have the topicals and the collars. Is there anything I'm missing in that that kind of option thing before we kind of break down the pros and cons of each? Well, you know, so, so you've, you've hit on it big. You know, we the, the collars. Um, now you've got some collars that are that would be recommended by a veterinarian. There's some that are just over the counter. You've got to be careful what you choose. Um, I, I think everyone ought to go on veterinary recommendation because if not, nothing is cheap. And, and you don't want to spend a lot of money on something that's not going to work. Right. Um, the, you know, there, there's good products that are affordable because you're going to get what you pay for. Uh, we've got topicals that are topicals that, you know, just work at the skin layer. We've got topicals that are systemic, you know, that are absorbed into the system, just like if you were to give a chew. And then we've got the, the chews, um, which are great. You know, I think that there's very few dogs that aren't used to getting a treat especially if you're training them, right? So for this group, if your dog's used to getting a, good, a treat for being good, they're going to take those chewables more than likely. And it seems like the chewables are just getting easier or I guess uh, more refined in their flavor to the dogs. I know that they're all kind of quote unquote meat flavored, but yeah, it, it's been a while since I've tried to give my dog like a chewable of any kind that they don't, they have an issue eating. I mean, I know there's some dogs that are a little more finicky than others, but it seems like the chewables are just so easy, especially when you start breaking down the different options in terms of being able to go three months with one chewable as opposed to one month, which of course we're going to jump into, but the chewables just seems very, just kind of give it to them and forget about it. You know, it, it is. And, and if your dog loves the chewable, even if your dog's kind of hesitant on the chewable, like you said, if you've only got to give it a little over four times a year, you, you get out pretty easy, right? Not right. having to worry about every month remembering it and trying to force it down down your pet. But uh, they tend to like the treat for sure. Absolutely. Well, are there any... Uh, side effects more so on each type like is there a chewable is there is there a side effect for some dogs on on a specific type of chewable in terms of uh, a negative reaction perhaps that maybe they won't see in a topical or a collar is that kind of a consideration for some people or or doctors you know i i think most are gonna you know most of these um products or one in specific, you know, that, that I'm familiar with, you know, we don't have to worry about the food allergy issue. If your dog has a food allergy, um, you know, look at that product insert, talk with your veterinarian because each, each presentation is going to have a, a pro and a con, right? And you want to kind of figure out, and the veterinarian is going to be well experienced in, in what that label reads. They know the product they're carrying. I think that's going to be your best source. And I think that's why it's great to have that relationship with a veterinarian, get your products recommended through them versus just walking in a store, going online and choosing. Um, some topicals, you know, are, are just topical. They stay on the skin. 
You know, are, are you placing it where the animal can't get to it? Is there an issue if they lick it? Each one is totally separate from the other. Um, and then the collars, you know, is that collar safe? What if that dog gets that collar off in his, in his pen, uh, you know, and, and chews on it or anything? Some may not have an issue. Some may be toxic, just depending on what you're buying uh, and where you're getting it. So your veterinarian is probably the best source uh, for each individual product. Is there something as us, you know, we talk about being an advocate for your dog when you're when you're talking to your vet and everything. Is there a test or something that you can request from your doctor to kind of hopefully figure out if there's an allergy concern before you start administering it? Or is it or is it so like uncommon that it's not even really worth the expense or headache? You know, that part's probably uncommon, but I think it's good because let's say the, the, the couch dog versus the ones that, you know, we're talking about today, a lot of the gun dogs and the working dogs, um, different lifestyles. So I, I think letting the veterinarian know when you're, you're in there, say, here's my dog's lifestyle doc. You know, he is going to be in water. He is going to be, you know, out in the outdoors. Um, he lives indoors, outdoors, kind of giving them the picture of what this dog does what product do you think would be best for my dog? You know, is it going to be a collar that if he's, you know, if it's a retrieving dog or something that's in the water a lot, does it stay effective? Uh, that may be a good one for a chew. Yeah. Uh, so, or a topical. How long, how long after we apply this topical, do I have to keep him out of the water for it to work? Or is that going to degrade the efficacy of the, of the product? Yeah. Some are absorbed systemically. And once that happens, that topical now works as a systemic. So we're not worried about it washing off Versus maybe the, the retrieving dog that's in the water and you just put it on that morning, is it going to stay on and you just think your dog's protected? So, yeah, but, but I think that relationship and kind of explaining, you know, doc, here's what my dog does for, for his fun, for his sport, for our outdoor adventure. Um, what do you recommend in this situation? Yeah, no, I, that, that's a fair point. And, and another option on this, I know a couple of years ago we we touched on it very briefly at the at the end of the episode, if I remember correctly, is uh, more quote unquote natural options. It seems like there's a lot of people that that look or crave for the natural remedies or options for their dogs. And at the time, you if I remember correctly, you said that there wasn't really anything that you would possibly recommend at that point in time. But fast forward a couple of years, is there anything out on the market or some studies that you've seen that that may have changed your mind in, in regards to more natural uh, options for the pet owner? You know, not, not really anything right off that I would recommend because, you know, we have to look at fleas and ticks not only as a nuisance, especially these ticks, but they carry diseases um, that our dogs Get, you know, can get and that we can get, you know, so we want something. So speed of kill is, is the ultimate thing that we're after. Not only are we killing that tick or killing that flea, but how fast are we killing it? Uh, because with ticks and tick diseases, we want a fast kill. So they're not passing these diseases on. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think if people do have some natural remedies and all, I don't think you're going to get, even if they feel like they're working, they're probably not getting that speed of kill. That's so important for those diseases and those zoonotic diseases. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about fleas, the speed of kill is so uh, uh, such a priority on this, but also the longevity, which is really what we're going to get into here in a second, but the longevity because of the life cycle. From my understanding, right. I think it's like two to three months that you need constant prevention or else it can rebound. And I, I know that that's kind of a one of the talking points in the study that we're about to break down, but 
you know, it's important for people to realize just because you kill something right now and then next week when you see something moving on it, it's not that they went and got reinfested somewhere. It's the fact that you never completed this, the kill cycle on the first go around. Exactly. And, and, you know, we'll we'll talk about some data. It's kind of scary that the people think they're doing a good job and giving a lot of product, but it's kind of shocking what the population actually does yeah. for these preventions. So. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and jump on into it. We've already kind of hinted at it a few times. Let's jump on into this study because this was real fascinating. And when we were talking about doing this episode again, uh, I was sent the the study. And anybody listening to this, if they want to check the show notes, I have the link to the to the study and the show notes on this because it's really kind of eye opening in regards to how us as people and and dog owners ultimately kind of I don't know if fail is the correct word, but but more or less we we don't administer the treatment like it's intended to or like it's advised to, right? And I think uh, reading through the 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 results, I think it says something about in the U.S., I think the average person was only treating for 3.3 to 5.7 months of treatment throughout the year. That is more than half of a year of gap from people that purchase and think that they're treating their dogs correctly. So, I'm going to kind of pitch it on over to you and let you talk and about what this study is, how it was designed, and kind of the results, and then we'll kind of pick it up from there. Well, you know, what what's needed about this study is, you know, so we always look at studies and think, okay, how many people did they actually ask, you know, a, about the product and, and what they're doing? And so the, the big um, study that Dr. Lavin had done that's out there. there. There's over a half a million transactions from veterinary hospitals, so that's a pretty good sample size mm-hmm. uh, when we when we start looking at this. And um, you know, it's first of all I, where we're located. You and I are in the southeast. I know people are listening all over, and I just like to look at this region for sure. There, there's no reason that we should not have our pets on something 12 months. Uh, out of the year because I don't know how it was where you are, but down here in Alabama, I felt we, like we had spring in December and winter in March. Right. And, you know, in, in the, if, if we're not getting below freezing and stay below freezing, hey, these ticks aren't scared of high 30s, you know, and, and that's most of our winter down here. I think we had one week in December where we hit single digits, but that's rare in our area. So, you know, flea tick and heartworm, Everybody, listen. You need to be on that year round. Um, don't don't just pick months. It's and plus you get in a habit. Stay on that habit, given these products year round. So we wanted to see what um, you know. A lot out of veterinary hospitals that were surveyed. You know, ninety six percent recommended twelve months out of the year. So that that's that's pretty huge. That's all parts of the country. So even veterinarians where they know it gets cold. Let's stay on it 12 months and remove all doubt, right? Um, 30, 39% of those people polled could not remember what their veterinary told them, what veterinarian told them. So you've got you know almost 40% of the people that don't even remember that message that are out there that don't think about that, um, which, which was kind of surprising. And then, um, you know, dog owners say, so we're sitting here as a veterinarian recommended, give it. 12 months out of the year. We found out that dog owners only feel like they need about 10 and a half of those months because they feel like there's certain months that are just so cold, I'm not worried about it. Well, they're not taking into account those fluctuating temperatures maybe during the one and a half month. But honestly, 
most pet owners said they only gave four and a half doses the entire year. So that's, so what for, you know, down here, you know, where we are, I would say, well, you've, you've got a good chance that, you know, those tick-borne diseases, something from the fleas, uh, you know, especially the environment that you mentioned earlier that's so important, the risk that you put yourself um, on. And if you're treating heartworm prevention the same way, is this dog got heartworm disease, you know, and we won't, we won't go far into heartworm today, but, you know, I, I kind of think we need both individual products to, to protect against that too. But, um, and I, I want to talk on the winter thing a little bit more because, you know, I hear that all the time. I had that written down as, you know, common talking points that you hear when you're just discussing this topic with other people. And one thing that I, the winter thing kind of interests me from a standpoint of, you know, everybody claims that, you know, flea and tick is not as big of a deal during the winter. But if you kind of look at the maps and the predominant areas where these diseases uh, stem from, it's not in the warmer areas like down in Alabama. It is in the colder areas up northeast, Midwest, stuff like that. So it's like, okay, they might be dormant. But to your point, you get a couple days in a row to where that temperature fluctuates and they come alive. You're actually statistically, it seems like on on my perspective, statistically more likely to come across uh, a, a disease disease tick that can pass that on. And so to me, it's like, especially if you're living up into a place with a harder winter, that's kind of more of a, an emphasis in my brain to treat year-round as opposed to taking the winter months off and trying to kind of play that balancing game. Yeah, and, and I think we saw this last year that while we were having some some record lows in the South, there were areas that were having record highs. And, and you get a good you know week that, that hits into the 40s, 50s, um, these ticks are out looking to feed. So what if, you know, what if this is one carrying, uh, you know, a disease that you can catch or your dog can catch and they're out feeding, but you felt like, Hey, I didn't, I don't need anything during these months. So you just set yourself up. And, and like I said, I think habit becomes, you know, more important, but you know, there's some ticks, especially down here, like, you know, the black legged tick, um, their highest numbers, September, November, uh, and, and even through December, you know, they, you'll see those adults more in the winter uh, out there. So they all kind of have that season or their activity times. And some ticks activity times are more in the fall and winter um, than, than the summer and spring. So we, we tend to think about one tick or so, but, you know, right. multiple species out there that are that we worry about different things with. So. Well, it's just like us, you know, we're all dog owners. But if you're a pet owner, you're going inside for the winter. And when you're a gun dog owner, you're going outside during the winter, you know, most of us stay outside year round, but you know, some people are right. more uh, seasonal. Let's go hunt, and and they don't train as much during the off season, or maybe they they uh, farm that out to a pro trainer or something. But to your point, if you're going to be out there, and then you're around a certain species of tick, and in an area that's more uh, common to to see Lyme disease or or any of these other uh, issues, you know, you're you're just kind of playing a dangerous game there. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always hear the term, you know, I found some seed ticks on my dog. Right. I mean, we hear that a lot, right? Well, so that that's just the, that's not the adult. So the big ones that we think that we see, they're the ugly ones that freak everybody out, you know, the adult um, male or female tick. But when we talk about that seed tick, those are the little, you know, larval and nymph stages. I mean, hard to find, you know, like the point of a pen. Well, they're out, you know, at a different time of year too than the adult. So, 
you know, and they're voracious feeders, you know, because they're the younger ones. They're out there feeding, you know, getting ready to drop off, go to that next stage. So you may not even see a lot of these stages of ticks. You know, you're lucky when you find those seed ticks in, in size. But uh, so, you know, what if that particular stage is out in the winter in your area? You know, you're not seeing the big one or the big one that's engorged. You know, it kind of looks like a grape. You miss those seed ticks, as you know, we like to call them down here. Yep. And no telling what was transmitted maybe or, or, you know, what could happen from that stage. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but just kind of reading through some some articles in this study, particularly before we got going, it, it sounds like that the seed tick, are, those are usually the ones that carry the diseases more often than not. Is that accurate? They, they can, you know, they're going to, that little larva is going to feed that first time and, and pick up any disease from, you know, wildlife is huge. You know, I think where we're using our gun dogs, you know, if you're bird hunting, whatever, we see a lot of deer, right? I mean, they're all over the place. That's a big source of these young ticks to feed. You know, when these deer bed down in the woods, you'll find a lot of ticks in those bedding areas. So, so yeah, so the nymph, you know, now it's at that second stage. It's, it's still that small little tick. Now it's carrying disease, and and they're they can be pretty voracious feeders. So they're spreading disease, not just that adult. That's correct. Yeah, and so it's it's interesting because a lot of people don't. They think if you just stay out of the woods or you're not, you know, you're not in a heavily infested area that they're safe. But to your point, these guys travel on wildlife and you know especially again back up northeast midwest where you have that high deer population but also another thing in the outdoor space is fewer and fewer people are trapping you have a lot more raccoons you have a lot more possums you have a lot you know all fur bears these ticks will get on and and hitchhike they'll just get on their feet and then wherever that animal goes that's where they'll go so when you're talking about certain species such as the fur bears uh, growing in population the ticks are going to go right alongside that. Then you you add in the factor that less people are burning their properties and managing habitat the correct way, and that's the most like effective way to actually kill them in the wild is by burning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Do you, are you aware of any kind of uh, spray treatment that can kill ticks that's not a harm to the rest of the wildlife out there, or is that not a thing yet? Well, you know, I tell a lot of people the best thing, you, you know, you can find – they want you to keep a lot of the brush down have a kind of a barrier. So, so I have wood, wooded area behind my house and, and the number of deer that I see out there um, is amazing. And now all I see is animals that carry ticks, you know, Yeah. but having a barrier, they say have a nice, you know, three foot wide barrier, maybe between the woods and, and your yard um, so that maybe they're not coming. Now those deer, they'll wander in your yard and drop ticks too, but there is environmental control. The way you set up your, your, um, Yard. I know the uh, the Connecticut Agricultural Experimental uh, Station put out a map one time that kind of showed the ideal way to set up your your yard. But it, but your uh, pest control companies, um, you know, I think using once again a professional because we got to worry about our pets. You know, what do they need to be around if we go out there and hit the yard, hit the woods with something to kill fleas and ticks? Is that an issue? Um, I think using a professional even for that is, is probably the best way to go. Call your, you know, whoever does your um, spraying and just ask them, say, hey, you know, I feel like I've got a heavy tick burden. Is there anything you can do for the lawn? Yeah, you know, that's going to be safe. My animals are going to be out there. Or at least if you're going to spray, how long do they need to stay off the lawn? Um, but, you know, once again, we've got to couple that with 
a flea and tick product for our pet because that's what's going to keep them from bringing them in the house. And and while we're talking about environment, you know, um, there there's not all ticks you know are going to live outside and like and like the outdoors, right? We've got um, you know we've got the brown dog tick that's coast to coast, border to border. If those get in your house, that's where they want to. That's where they want to live. Um, they could be found. I mean, Alaska, Hawaii, you name it. Uh, but uh, they have diseases. But if they get into kennels. They get in your house, and that's where they're going to live. They don't care. And your house is very seldom below maybe sixty-five, sixty-eight degrees. Yeah. So you've given them the perfect environment, and those can be a nightmare to get rid of if they ever get in your house. So once again, that that pet being protected uh, is going to be huge. I, I would assume if you're kind of concerned about that or curious, the most likely places to find them in that in that instance would be the kennels and dog bed areas. But there's nothing to keep them from getting down into that shag carpet or that rug or, or maybe your furniture down in the fibers. You know, there's a, I can't tell you how many people, you know, talk about, especially during training season, going to get in their truck and, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, they see a tick crawling across the dashboard or steering wheel. And mm-hmm. that's not even inside the house. That's inside a truck that gets to like 200 degrees baking in the sun. Right. You know, so you loaded the dog back up. He's riding he's riding shotgun with you that day. <laughs> right. And dropping ticks all in the car. Next thing you know, you, you know, especially if it's those little small uh, stages, you know, you may not find that thing until he's embedded on you. And, and you know, that that time time is the factor with these disease transmissions is, is how long have they been attached to your pet? How long are they attached to you? Because the quicker we can find them and get them off or we know a product is killing that you know, tick, we're going to cut down that chance of disease. So, and so, you know, circling back to the, to the study, the, the one thing is just coming from an average person, you know, I don't, I don't usually typically nerd out on scientific studies by any means, but this one was really interesting to me because there's a, there's a vested interest or a shared interest in it. And the, when I was reading it, you know, to, to try and sum it up in the, in the most average person or elementary way of doing it is, it's a long way of saying that the average pet owner or dog owner, they're not even buying enough to cover for half a year because ultimately the way this study was produced was they had, I think it was like 600 some odd vet clinics that were participating and sharing their purchase data on how many people actually bought flea and tick prevention based on the recommendation from the vet. And they used that data to try and and figure out was there any gaps in the treatment plans and so what i found interesting is we're not even talking about like you said that most people don't even remember what the vet told them on how often or remembering to give it to them we're not even talking about the administration of the drugs we're talking about just the procurement of the drug so like if you don't even buy it in the right quantity or as frequently as you should it's it literally is impossible to administer it as often as you're supposed to. So it's not even a matter of remembering to give it to them once a month or once every three months. You have to remember to buy it. <laughs> well, and, and that's huge. You know, that that study, you know, talking about that. So 43% of our customers bought one dose, one dose. So, I mean, what did that do, right? It might have knocked down what you were seeing that month. And so, so if 43% are buying one dose, 
we did see gaps in that study. I mean, you know, I will say, you know, nobody's perfect, right? So you've got monthlies, you've got extended duration, even gaps in the extended duration. But I will say with the extended duration, when you're using that, you know, if you're buying two tablets, you're covering your dog, you know, over half the year. So, uh, you know, versus just two months out of the year. So there's, there's a big difference, but, but yeah, the the fact that 43% purchased one dose, and that's probably because they saw that tick on the dog that day, or they saw fleas, treated it. It went away on the dog, but that environment, it, you know, you were talking about fleas. We got to have at least 12 good weeks um, to knock down that environment from the flea. But ticks, you know, they're, they don't live what's unique about their life cycle. The flea we can get rid of, right? They love living on the dog for their life. And, and so we can kind of break that reproductive cycle. Ticks, it's about a three-year cycle. They hop on, they feed, they fall off. Next year, they get back on, they feed, change. So we've got a finite amount of time to catch that tick on that dog to to take care of it because once they fall off, you know, that reproductive cycle keeps going. So it's it's harder to break because they don't live on the dog. But for maybe, you know, anywhere, depending on the stage, 5 to 10, 12 days in that stage. So you've got that small amount of time when that dog's protected if that tick gets on it, just go ahead and take that out of play. So that's the huge difference between those two. And I'd, I'd be curious, I'd like to get your, this is pure speculation if, if you'd like to answer it, but I'd like to get your gut instinct is, is why do you feel that most people fail to remember to buy beyond one? Do you think that it's an actual concerted effort to where it's like, I'm just going to buy one and then I don't need any more? Do you really think that they're actually forgetting about it? And do you think if we educated people to where like, look, Go to someplace like Chewy Auto Ship or or an email reminder or a calendar reminder on your phone. Like, you know, whether you can pay for it up front right now, I mean, this stuff can get pretty pricey. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But in terms mm-hmm. of remembering, I don't remember everything, but that's also why I have calendar reminders. And then Chewy Auto Ship, it's nice. Every time Brevecto shows up on my porch, I know it's time to give it to him. It's, it's not that difficult for me to remember because you just take five seconds and kind of use the technology to your to your benefit on that front. You know, I, I think, you know, people are busy. We, we all have busy lives. I, I can't say that I'm to the day that my calendar reminder goes off on my phone. <laughs> um, but out of sight, out of mind, too, right? My, my retriever trots through the house all the time. Um, if, if I don't see her stop and scratch and look and see fleas, if I don't see a tick fall off, I feel like, hey, she's protected, you know, and I forget about it. So that one dose, I think, is when people are like, oh, my gosh, look at all the fleas on on this, you know, dog or all the ticks we've got. Let's go get something. We give it a lot of good things in the market these days um, that the veterinarian has also is those auto ships from their practice. Right. Um, Great rebates when you buy in bulk. Um, you know, so, so if a lot of your practices have what they call green line, you're getting that rebate at the cash register, right? You're not taking this tear off piece of paper, waiting four to six weeks for a check to come in. You know, you're getting the discount at the point of sale now at some of these vet clinics, even, uh, for purchasing six to 12 months of product. They can put you on auto ship. I think auto ships are great because if it right it arrives at your house, you're like, oh yeah, here's the medicine from our vet today. It's time to give you and give it you know, showing up probably right on time to give it. So I think a lot of that helps us with our busy lives these days. Um, so many vet clinics, just like the inter- are getting automated to where a lot of this stuff is happening. So that it's not taking staff time 
to have to remember to do this for you. So I, I think the, the calendar is huge, too. Uh, getting that on your phone. Uh, how many times does you know my iPad dings ten times a day to remind me that hey you're on uh, you're you're on a podcast you know this morning <laughs> in, in fifteen minutes. So why not have it? So we're always going to look right. We get we get trained too, just like the dog to anything. We hear that ding. Oh, it's time for you know my dog's medication this morning. So, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just our busy lives. We need reminders. We need help with those things. Yeah, and I, and I think. I know our, our company is looking hard at getting those calendars for you, getting these auto ships set up to the veterinarian, getting these point of sale rebates, because we want to help people remember this, you know, because it's best medicine. Yeah. I'm one of those OCD guys that I can't stand the red dots on my phone. Like if, if I have anything in my inbox, I can't sleep at night. So I get annoyed by constant reminder emails or newsletter emails or something like that. But when it comes to, to something like this, to where we're going to go in to the just how imperative it is not to miss or create that gap in between these administration cycles. You know, that's something to where, you know, check your email because even the auto ships are are subjected to supply chain challenges, as we saw during COVID, right? You know, everybody has an example of where they wanted to get something. I mean, as simple as toilet paper you couldn't get for, you know, under 10 grand for a roll or whatever it was. Uh, so it's it's important that like out of sight, out of mind is is tough. But, you know, the the more redundancy you can put into it, like my wife still is a fan of the physical calendars. It does nothing for me because you have to look at a physical calendar for it to do anything. And I'm never looking at it. But during covid where I didn't get that auto ship in, she caught that because of the physical calendar. So, you know, I'm not uh, this isn't a, a time management podcast, but it's one of those things to where it is that imperative to where these ticks and, and issues are becoming so pronounced and so common that especially when you start talking about like an, a new species or a new invasive species of tick, it's imperative that everybody does their their job or their responsibility as a pet owner to knock that population down the best as possible. Exactly. Because if you're one month late, you know, whether you're a, you know, a one month or you're a, a three month person, one, you know, these products have, have a duration for a reason, right? So we're not going to get six months out of a three month product. We're not going to get three months out of a one month product. <clears throat> so we still have to do right and, and remember to administer these products because you know it, it wanes off and then we, we're outside with our dog we pick up that one tick that's got you know Lyme disease or, or lichia you know that's huge down here that's you know uh, huge down here in the south we're going to have some problems, you know, and, and it's just because of our failure to remember to give these medications right And so how drastic is that just not having any of it in your system. I think if I remember correctly, the monthly chewables, they're around what, 33, 34 days. So there is like a couple days that they give you yeah. to where you're supposed to be able to administer it and not have that gap. Are we talking about if there's a 33 day time limit on 34 days, that's completely out of the dog system. Like it's not, you might as well have not prevented it if he goes and gets bit today. Yeah, I mean, there you know, there's some products, um, and and of course, it's all patient dependent too. But there's some products that it's still in the system at, at even 30 days, but efficacy started waning. You know, because what we want is that 100% efficacy, right? But 
you know, even, even if you're in the 80s, 90s, you're you're doing a good job. But, you know, if we start dropping those last few weeks, even down in, you know, the, the 60s or whatever, even one or two days, you're talking about 33 days or if we're out there at however many, those other three days, yeah, there's product in there. But where is it for each patient, each product? It may only be sitting at 60%, mm. you know, well, what about that 40%? So it, it is pretty imperative to try to hit it you know, as soon as you can to those data points or those days, because it could, you know, every metabolism is different. Every product's different, Yeah. but uh, you, you probably got a day or so to, you know, to get it in there, but efficacy still might not be a hundred percent. So there's always that chance that you've waited a little late. So it's probably advisable again, as a, as a, you know, I don't go to sleep and know all these statistics or time frames in, in my head. I'm like, I'm like every other normal human being to where after this podcast, it's probably going to leave my head again. But reading through the study, it said even on the 12 week uh, or three month duration that whereas the monthly is a 33, 34 day duration, I think the 12 weeks had it right at 12 weeks. And so my auto ship is 12 weeks. Probably it's probably advisable to change that auto ship down to eleven weeks or maybe even ten weeks, and go ahead and kind of jump the gun a little bit. And uh, because I did not realize that twelve weeks meant twelve weeks, I thought there was a little bit few days cushion like you would see on the monthly section. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and it's different for every every dog. So I would definitely say, hey, I want this to arrive at least a week. You know, my calendar is going off on the fifteenth of this month. I want it in my in my pantry around the tenth, and then now my calendar is going to alert me uh, on my phone on the fifteenth to go ahead and give that product. You know, so have it on hand, be ready to give it. I, I think we're just going to get our best protection. Now there there's fail safes in there, but that's when we kind of get out. You know, am I doing am I doing the right thing? Everybody's life gets hectic if you're a few days late. Hey, we still want to give it. You know. The big thing we ought to be doing anyway is, is especially we've been out training for a while. You get back, you're putting the dogs up and all. Just look over. You know, do we see any ticks? You know, I think it's a lot easier on the short hair dogs, right? You can you can oh, kind of yeah. comb through them, looking at everything. You get our setters, you get our our retrie- or, you know, long hair retrievers. Man, it, it's hard to find anything but like burrs and everything else than in the than in that hair. So you know, still checking them, especially if they're coming in the house. You know, there, there's sometimes there's still that house dog that'll go out and hunt on the weekends or be a you know a, a, a gun dog, but uh, best definitely before they come in the house, checking to make sure we're not bringing any hitchhikers along along with them. Oh yeah, no, and then you can forget about it if you have the long hair black or brown dog. Good, good freaking luck on that. When you do come across a tick, what what is the best way to remove it? You know, some people say just just grab it, pinch it off, get tweezers or the the little tick uh, key or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. I haven't had much luck with those. It seems like every time I try and use one of those, it just rips the body from the head and the head gets embedded in the skin. What's what's the best way to really uh, dispose of the tick that's attached to a dog? Well, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, if they're on a product, look and see because. Some of these ticks, uh, if, if you went in because you had a few ticks, they get you one of these products, you administer it, it's going to kill the ticks on the dog. So I've had people come back into the practice and say, hey, there's, you know, there's still ticks on my dog. And you look at them and they're like a cornflake over yeah. there because they attach, <laughs> but we killed it. You know, and we, and, you know, if we killed it before any disease transmission, you know, those first 12 to 24 hours are huge. And then you can go over with your finger and almost flake them right off. Yep. So I've had a lot of people think those are still live ticks because they're grossed out. Um, 
but the live ones, the quicker we get them, even if they're kind of like got that little, they're cemented to the skin like they do, you know, getting close to that skin to, you know, to remove. I, I think I always use tweezers or hemostats to, to do it most of the time. Um, just because like you said, if you grab one, it's going to be harder. You want to get as close to that skin as you can. Yeah. And to your point, you know, just a few days ago, I, I went through and gave all the girls a bath and I pulled two ticks off Rachel and they were both just fried exoskeletons, essentially. And and that's what I tell everybody. You know, I, I get asked sometimes, not, not frequently, but I, get, I do get asked, you know, flea and tick prevention, what do I use? And I do use Brevecto. And uh, I've never once found a live tick on them since I've had them on Brevecto. And uh, so th- that, that's what was really interesting. But one thing that, that sucks in the, in the wildlife uh, spectrum is when you think you're, you're kind of wrapping your head around what's out there, what's a danger, what you have to protect yourself against and plan for and stuff – the nature mother nature kind of drops something random on your lap and that's what we're kind of dealing with it seems like with a brand new species of tick called the asian longhorn tick and it seems like we just keep getting infested by something from asia every couple years (laughs) even though uh, the tick was here i think the earliest study or earliest uh production of it or, or where they found it was like 2010 but it really wasn't until 2017 that they really found an infestation of it. And it goes from like the East Coast down into Tennessee. I think it was found in like Arkansas mm-hmm. and Missouri as well. But what is so alarming about this particular tick? Because it, there's something different about this one compared to all the other ones that we're more accustomed to. Well, so so the first thing, it looks a lot like one of our ticks we do have here. So, you know, a lot of people just assumed, hey, this is just still – you know, a tick that we see all the time and we're, and we're picking it off. Um, you're right. It got to the United States in 2017 and the first dog, Arkansas, 2018. And what's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it's all brown. Um, it's all a brown tick. The big threat that a lot of the states worried about initially were also the cattle populations because enough of these ticks uh, can ensanguinate or bleed out a cow. That's that's how voracious they can be. Another thing is they do not require a male tick to reproduce. So this is the first tick that we've seen that's pretty uh, hardy in that aspect of, of producing large numbers, uh, not needing that male uh, tick to to do that, and then they if you get enough in an area, it's pretty impressive if you think about taking down a large cow with enough ticks to ensanguinate it. Just think about your your dogs out there, mm-hmm. you know, in in some of this these areas. So, yeah, and I'll have to say, you know, the areas the southeast down, um, you know, from Tennessee, you know, the Carolinas all the way down over to to Texas. Um, you any maps you look at, that's the that's the big projected areas. Um, the good thing is, um, you know, you mentioned you using Brevecto, and I'll, I'll have to say that we do have the label claim, the FDA label now, for that tick, Okay, um, which is huge. I know a lot of state veterinarians, when I'm talking to them, they get a lot of people that ask, a lot of veterinarians are asking the state veterinarians, hey, we know it's large animal, but what about our small animals? What can we do to protect them? So, um, we did go back and did a study to get that label on the cat and the dog product. So um, another reason to be protected because 
here's a tick we didn't even know existed, pops up in the U.S., and we find out, you know, it's carrying diseases um, also, you know, that, that can spread to, to us and to our pets. And, and, and the main one I think I kept reading over and over, I mean, obviously it referenced a few different diseases, but the main one was, how do you pronounce it, uh, babesiosis? Babesiosis? Uh, babesiosis, okay. yeah, babesia, that's huge. Um, and uh, But it, it's just amazing how quick, and, and you know, the way we transport our dogs, and, and, and a lot of your listeners know different, how many times do we like to load up and go to this place we've always wanted to hunt, right, and take our gun dogs with us? Um, you know, if you're in the south, let's go bird hunt in the mid, you know, the Midwest, you know, or things. So if you're taking your dogs like that, where are we going to go duck hunt this year, you know? So you, you may not have it in your backyard, but you may bring it back. So you've got to be careful, and that's something we don't think about is, is you know, you bring a dog back loaded with these ticks. Now we've got them in your state. And then here we go, self-reproducing. We don't. We didn't have to bring a male and a female back, right? right. So, so then, so then we have bigger issues. So, especially as much traveling, I think, as probably as as your listeners do, even just outside their their home state to to utilize the gun dog. That that is a very good point to where what you could you could make the point that maybe we have a a, a larger responsibility, not just in terms of taking care of our dogs. But not spreading it, just like we were talking earlier, how these ticks hitchhike on, you know, deer and fur bears. Well, the dog has fur, has hair, right? Like it's going to move. So you kind of read my mind on where I was going to next is, you know, what are the options out there that actually are effective against that outside of Brevecto or any of these other options that we talked about earlier, the topicals or collars or any of those uh, to the level to where they are effective against this Asian longhorn tick. You know, and that's hard to say, you know, but before we went back and got the label, I would have said, you know, I hope this is going to, you know, take care of a tick just like it takes care of the other species. But we didn't know. Um, so we went, had to go do that study to see that it was efficacious. So now we know that one formula is, you know, that one ISOX uh, is effective it would be hard to say about the others, you know, because there some ticks are harder to kill, especially as we get away from that class drug. Let's say, you know, our traditional collars, our traditional topicals, who knows on some of the older products that came before this new generation. But yeah. so it, it, at least we do know that is one. Um, and those maps are pretty read, readily available where this tick's hanging out. Um, you can you can go and um, uh, and look i tell you one website that's good I like to look at that your group can go to is Tick Encounter. Uh, you, you can just Google Tick Encounter website. And, and it's really neat because it'll show you the time of year. You know, before we got on this podcast, I was looking at, at our home, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama. And it tells me what ticks are active right now, you know, and how active they are. And then you can click on that tick and it'll tell you what uh, disease those ticks are going to carry. So if you're traveling from Tennessee today out to, you know, uh, Iowa or, or North or South Dakota, you can click on South Dakota and say, okay, you know, here's what's happening in that part of the U.S. If I'm if I'm going bird hunting out there or something, and and what we're yeah, there's a you know there's ticks active in the U.S. At every, in every state at different times of the year, so you're going to know I, I've got to get that flea and tick product. So yeah. it's just a good bet year round, no matter where you're going. Yep. So where does permethrin fall into all this? Because, you know, you have a couple different companies that sell permethrin spray that are 
build as safe for the dogs or at least safe after a long enough waiting period. And you do have a lot of people that will spray down some beds or or blankets or maybe the vest that they're wearing or something like that. Is it safe for dogs? And is it as effective as everybody claims it to be? You know, I, as far as your pets go, you know, if the, some of the dog sprays that have that aspect, I think it's a knockdown. It's a quick one-time knockdown, you're not going to have a lot of residual value in it. You know, I go, I think when I first came out in veterinary medicine, we bathed the dog, we dipped the dog, we fogged the house, <laughs> yeah. then we vacuumed the house, and then we sprayed the dog's bed. <clears throat> Seven days later, we were doing it all over again, oh, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of the things for us protecting ourselves, definitely, you know, in our clothing, uh, when we're out hunting, because it, the dog doesn't always bring the tick to us, right? We're we're a meal too, walking through that brush, walking through those fields. So I always like to put something, you know, on my my clothes also uh, that's going to spray me down. But once again, that's probably going to last that day, right? It's a it's a knockdown while I'm out there to keep it off of me. Doesn't mean I'm still not going to have one crawl up the pants leg or in the sleeve. Um, and, and do we want to spray our our you know? I'm spraying my clothing, right? We're, we're, the dog yeah. doesn't get clothing. So we're putting that on the skin, more irritable. I'm not going to lick my clothing. <laughs> that, that dog may turn around and, 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 you know, start chewing on its, you know, fur or, or bathing itself in the car ride home. So definitely I like the the, the safer topicals, the the chew, whatever, on, on the pet. Those kind of products may be on our clothing to, uh, to protect us because we don't want to go out and, and think the dog's you know, chew's going to protect us. So, yeah. but, uh, in, so I, I'm more for just, uh, you're more, uh, scientifically advanced yeah. options these days over the old. I, I've always been hesitant to do, try the permethrin, at least on, on the dogs, because it's one of those, you know, you, you read the labels and you hear like, you know, don't let it skin, don't, don't let it contact your skin. Don't breathe it. Don't get it in your eyes. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, well, if that's, all for us, then surely yeah. that's got to be. And, you know, the more I talk to people and I'm in the woods or, or I go hunting with people, I do see more and more people using something like that, especially like sprays in the dog beds in the kennel. Because to your point, I don't think anybody's claiming that it is a true, quote unquote, prevention, something in the lines of what, you know, Brevecto and, and all these other collars and stuff does. But it is just another layer of protection maybe to combat the hitchhiking thing we we're just talking about is, you know, maybe yep. coming back home from Wisconsin to, to Tennessee. I know, you know, I get when I'm grouse hunting in October, I, I get a lot more ticks on me. But to your point, going back to what I was saying earlier, I've never pulled a live tick off of my dogs when they've been properly uh, uh, prevention medicated. And to your point, it's just like, well, all right, maybe just kind of spray it on the clothes, let it sink in, and don't worry about spraying the dog. Well, and, and, and two, when you think about how, how many of us out there had young kids that when you got home from that trip, the, the first one the kid wanted to hug was the dog, right? Yeah. You run yeah. up and give the dog a big hug, and, and you don't want them peeling away some permethrin, you, you know, or getting it all over them either. So it's, you know, more of a safety thing. Um, I think, or like I said, that dog bathing it. And then that dog, those retrievers hopping that water, that stuff, you know, it's diluted and off the, off the body. You talk skin irritation, things like that. Yeah. And, sure. and that's, man, it, it's not, you're reading my mind here to where I want to go into the water real quick. We don't have to spend too long because I kind of already know the answer to this. You kind of referenced it earlier is another common talking point that I've heard from other people. And, uh, I, I, 
they claim that you go out in the woods, you go take your dog, you go let them jump and swim around for a little bit. It's going to knock all the ticks off of them or the fleas off of them. Can you kind of end that that talking point now, I'm assuming, is what you're going to do? But, I mean, hey, if there's some merit to it, have at it as well. But I, I feel like I know where you're headed with this. Yeah, let me tell you, you, you know how hard it is to pull a tick off, right? So if so if you've been out on a couple of days and that tick's already found your dog and, and, and cemented on, you know, nothing's getting that that tick off short of um, a, a topical that's gone systemic. And that's why the systemics are so good. Um, you're not diluting the topical on the dog. You're not diluting the, the collar. But once again, those, those ticks are going to be there. Even that dog swimming out to retrieve, you know, it's along for the ride. So we need to get something systemic into that tick and yeah. in, in the time. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rely on the lake or the or the or the stream. Yeah. Uh, to remove everything before we go home. Well, as we start wrapping this up, I, you know, going back to the tick removal topic, let's say that you do try and, and take it off. The head detaches and it gets embedded in the skin. You know, is anybody that's never really seen that, uh, the when that happens, it's tough to get the head out from the skin sometimes. And that kind of happened to my coonhound a number of years ago back when he was alive. And uh, my wife pulled the tick, head detached, and it got burrowed in under the skin, and we could not get it out. And it ended up becoming almost, I don't know, infection isn't the right word, but it like hardened the area, and it was there for like two years afterwards. It, you know, what... Is there any tricks that you can try if you do get a tick head kind of burrowed into the skin, or is it just kind of let it fester out, or hopefully fester out? You know, I think if you if you if you worry about that, I definitely drop by your veterinarian, have them take a look at the area because we want to make sure. You know, you talk about those those ticks, very unique. You know, when they when they go in and they attach before they cement, they also secrete. Uh, substances that kind of liquefy the skin and make it mm-hmm. easier for that uh, big proboscis to go in the in the skin that they're going to, you know, pump that blood out with. So there's a lot of irritation already going on there. They're cementing themselves to that skin. You know, if you feel like you've left something, instead of setting it up for infection, like you said, or, or, a, or a long-term issue, I'd drop by your veterinarian, have them look at it, let them know what it was. Uh, you know, they may decide to put put him on some antibiotics or something for a, a little while just to prevent any issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what I ended up taking him in during his checkup. I had him look at it and, and he was like, well, you know, next time we get his teeth cleaned or something, we'll just, you know, snip it out real quick. And that's what we ended up doing a couple years later. Next time he was down for something is, is just cut it out real quick. And, and it was nothing ultimately, but it wasn't worth putting them down at the time to uh, just cut it out essentially. So Right. And, and two, you think some of that hard knot you were feeling, maybe a little scar tissue, because like I said, those ticks do, you know, secrete and, and kind yeah. of liquefy that tissue so that they can get their meal. It's funny how nature makes things, you know, so self-sufficient. Right. Like that, right. right. Well, but, so the best thing you can do is have that tick taken in some of that product yeah. you know, that your that your calendar reminded you to give on time. Exactly. And it, n- nothing to worry. Right. Well, and that that's the main driver and the, and the main point of all this from the study and, and just circling back and having this conversation. Uh, we probably should have it a little bit more often with it being this time of year. It's a, it's a good reminder for everybody. But, you know, we kind of covered a lot of ground really fast as we start wrapping up. Is there anything that we missed that you think sh- we should touch on or, or kind of highlight for everybody? 
Well, you know, we, we did focus a lot on ticks, and, and I want to just remind everybody, you know, we think of fleas as a nuisance and ticks as gross, right? Because, you know, ticks are, have all the legs, the flea, oh, it's causing my dog to itch. You know, there are some things that, that we, some health issues with fleas also, so let's, you know, take care of them. Like you mentioned earlier, we're on something 12 weeks, we've wiped out the environment, you know, so we've we've taken care of that infestation just by doing a good job on the other uh, parasites. So don't forget the fleas. Um, definitely keep your pets heartworm protected, especially in some of the areas that that you know your listeners are going to to hunt. Um, you know, the southeast, especially year round. Uh, let's just treat it as a year round need for heartworm and flea and tick. And I think everybody will have healthy dogs and uh, avoid any zoonotic diseases themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, I definitely appreciate it. It was a it was a great uh, conversation, a good reminder, and and kind of you know hearing some new uh, new developments in terms of new species of ticks, as well as the study, and and you know trying to get out there and remind everybody that it is important uh, outside of just protecting your own dog, which you know we all love our dogs, but there's there's a greater need for everybody to kind of battle the ticks as much as possible, and. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Maybe maybe we don't go uh, another two years, whereas we thought that it was just, you know, a handful of months ago that we talked, right? <laughs> no, no, and listen, I, I love it. You know, growing up in the South around gun dogs, you know, there, I don't think there's anything greater to watch work, you know. And, and uh, so between gun dogs and working dogs, um, you, you know, everybody just take care of those dogs, right? They're they're. Their enjoyment, uh, they deserve They deserve uh, to be taken care of. And, hey, protect your family too, right, with all these new products. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you're a busy man, and I think we covered a lot of ground. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely be checking in soon, and then we'll have to do it again at some point down the road. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody, hope you enjoyed that conversation going over the flea and tick prevention. Uh, this episode was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Obviously, I, I don't need to go too deep into why I, I decided to do another episode on, on this. It's been a few years since we did it. There's obviously some new information out there, as, as we discussed in the episode. And it's just that time of year to where I'm, I'm getting a few listener messages or questions on what I personally use and what I prefer. As you guys heard in the episode, I've been using Brevecto for years, haven't had any single issues. So that's kind of what I tell everybody is for whatever it's worth, go check out Brevecto. It's super easy. I have it on Chewy Auto Ship and and I just know when it arrives to, to give it to them. And I've already gone in after after having the conversation with Mark, I, uh, I already went in there and updated the auto ship to ship a week early so that I don't have that administration gap. So if that's something that you haven't really thought about in your in your program or, or how you manage your flea and tick prevention, then maybe, uh, you know, consider it after listening to all this information that, that Mark and I went over. Uh, that study was real fascinating. Again, that link to the study, if you're interested, is in the show notes down below. So check that out if, if you uh, if you are inclined to. But uh, yeah, you know, don't need to go on too long, you know, try and this is what we do. We we go outside with our dogs. We have fun. You know, I'm not going to let fleas and ticks uh, ruin why I got the dogs. I'm not going to keep it, you know, 
stay inside just because there's uh, mean and dirty ticks out there, but we have to be smart because they do carry diseases and there's obvious challenges or uh, considerations that you need to give. So if you aren't on a an effective prevention uh, medicine, then maybe it's time to start doing your research and figuring out what works best for you and your dog. So uh, with that being said, I hope you got something out of this episode. If you already have the prevention under lockdown, hopefully you learned something new or uh, something to take into consideration moving forward. But with all that being said, I'm not going to hold you up too longer. I'm actually on the road this week. I'll be uh, so there is no extended outro uh, for the Patreon patrons this this week. I don't do those when I'm on the road, but uh, you can still go sign up for Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. Please consider, uh, you know, it's a completely voluntary donation. If you find any value or you just enjoy the content that we put out here every single week for the podcast. Uh, in in uh, in response to your donation, if you sign up, then we have bonus content such as the mo- monthly bonus episode with Nick Larson over at the Bird Shot Podcast. I do the uh, profile episodes on video on there, and then some early early release stuff for our main videos. Which, by the way, guys, if you have not gone to YouTube and hit subscribe, please do that right now. The link to our YouTube is in the show notes, so it's super easy. It really helps us out a lot, and I would really appreciate it if you're listening to this right now. You watch YouTube or uh, just check it out on occasion. Hit that link. Hit subscribe. It really helps us out a lot. I'm working on a few other videos. I'm just about done wrapping up uh, this first one kind of on a conservation uh, focus on, on prairie chickens within Illinois, so I'm excited to get that out to you guys here soon, so be on the lookout for that. But with that being said, I'm going to Go ahead and wrap this up again. If you have any uh, desire to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. If you uh, don't have the means to, to support the podcast that way, there are other alternatives that you can support the show, such as sharing it with a friend. That's the most helpful thing. But then also following us on Instagram and Facebook under gundog yourself. So again, Thanks, as always, to everybody for hitting download and play. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes coming out every single Tuesday. So, again, appreciate everybody for checking us out, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, 
Remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.